Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you um, would you bring your anointing right now? Father, I pray that as your word comes, your word comes with power. That in your, you, you, these are the words of life. That your word guides us and teaches us how to live. That your word shows us who you are. That your word teaches us about you. And so I pray, Father, that we would submit and yield our hearts to what it is that your word says. That there is a truth, there is an objective truth, and it's your words, the words of life. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for having me. I am super excited to be here. I actually, just in case anyone tells you differently, I initiated to be here, actually. I was going on leave, and I contacted Monet, and I was like, Monet, I'm going on leave, and I'm going past Muscle Bay. Can I be at the church, either on my way there or on the way back? Because last time we were here, we loved being here. We loved being with you. We were in the morning and the evening, and we really do just, God has put this congregation in our hearts, and we love to be here, and so I'm excited. It's my kids' first time in Muscle Bay. They think this is the coolest place on the planet. Um, except for the fact that we told them there's sharks, so they are quite terrified about that. But we are really excited to be here, and I'm excited to share with you what I feel like the Lord wants to say to you this morning. And He doesn't want to say it to the person next to you. He doesn't want to say it to the person behind you. I feel like this is something that God wants to speak to you this morning. Is that okay? So I want to talk about then, and I want to talk about now. And see, the one thing that every single one of us have in common is that from the time, like that little baby that's two weeks old now, you are born with this little ticking clock inside of you. And it's the fact that you, from when the hourglass turns over when you are born, you have a limited amount of time and it is running out. And like sand through an hourglass, so are the days of our lives. But slowly but surely, we, you have this element inside of you and it determines the rhythm that you'll live. It determines the decisions that you'll make because every single one of us know that there will come a time when there is no more sand in the hourglass and then we are left with this massive question, then what? And so people start these journeys of trying to find out or other people try and drown out the sound of ticking by ramping up the volume of their life, making their life so busy, building a career, having a family, doing stuff, trying to drown out the sense of that I have a limited amount of time and it is slowly ticking away. And the older you get, the louder the ticking becomes and the more circumstances you go through and it just starts to tick. Do you know that I've even watched as things have started to happen in the Middle East? Do you know what's happened? The clock inside of people has started getting louder. People have become anxious because they don't know what this means. They don't know what's going on, but something inside of me knows that this could mean that I'm running out of time. And this could, what does this mean for my life? And what is happening? And it's Israel and it's war and there's war there and there's calamity here and there's tragedy. And the, the clicking inside of us gets louder and, like, and the one thing is it can drive you insane or it can drive you to look for any other way to drown it out. 
or there is actually a timer that's running out or a countdown to the beginning of the rest of your life. You see, for the believer, it's the countdown to eternity. It's the countdown to the beginning of being with him and the thing that we live for forever is, is coming closer. But if you don't know Jesus and if the ticking causes anxiety, I'd love us to see that he put that clock inside of you because he desperately wants to spend eternity in relationship with you. He did it like that from the beginning of creation and he, that is his plan in through the rest of eternity, that you would be with him, that he would live with his people and we would be together. Do you know that? Is that okay? Intro. And so for me, it's always looked like this. Growing up, I've grown up a Christian. I wasn't one, but I grew up like one for a while. Um, but I've had this upbringing of being in the church. You met my dad, who, uh, they're incredible. They're planted a church to young. I've always been a pastor's kid. And to be honest, I've always, the biggest struggle that I had, whenever I've thought of being a Christian, is I've always battled with the fact that heaven sounds really boring. Now I'm being honest with you. I'm not like a Francois who loves to sing and worship and heal the... That, that's not, like, I sing because that's how we worship. Like, I love listening to rock music, but I don't sing along with it. I'm like, the thought of heaven being all of us just lost in song before the throne is boring for me. I'm like, I want to do stuff. Like, the streets will be laid with gold. I don't care about the streets. Like, to be honest... I don't even like gold. I don't even have a gold ring. I have a rubber silicone ring so that I can do stuff. Like the idea that there's no currency, like that stuff's not inspiring for me. Heaven will be like, we'll all be wearing white robes and just a sea of people singing songs for the rest of eternity. I'm like, well, so are you telling me that the best part of eternity is on earth? Because I enjoy this more than that, if I'm honest. I'm being too honest, huh? There's no other Christian that thinks like this at all. Monet agrees. Thank you, Lord. And do you know what we do? We don't understand it, and we don't like it, but it's in the Bible somehow. What, that there is this eternity, and that there's this worship, and that there's... And because we get framed it in a certain way, and nobody can actually tell you what it's like, we just ignore it. And instead of it being this great prize that the believer lives for and makes the decisions Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, based on what eternity is going to be like, we try and find something else to live for now because we don't quite understand that thing then. And if it is what they say it's like, it's pretty boring. I'm honest. I don't want that for eternity. Like, Lord, if it's like that, at least I'll be able to sing in key. Like, I'm stoked. <laughs> and I would love to show us that Jesus came to teach us what the kingdom of heaven is like. That while he was with us, he came and said, the kingdom is near. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like this. He literally came saying, this is what it's like. And we're like, oh, you're choirs. And he didn't say, the kingdom is like, be exalted in the key of C for eternity. 
There is worship. I think there is this incredible spectacle of unending worship with these magnificent creatures flying around the throne. That's not me in worship doing that. He's got angels. He's got creatures that worship him and will worship him into eternity. It's this incredible spectacle. But what God has called us to do is so much more than be in the choir. He's called us to be in union with him, to, to be in relationship with him, to live with him, to walk with him. Amen. Okay. Hopefully we're on the same wavelength and you don't think I'm a heretic because of my not wanting to sing for eternity. I love to, so Jesus, and we're going to read in John 14 verse 1 to 4. Jesus is about to lead his disciples through the most traumatic moment of their life. They are about to lose absolutely everything. Their world is going to be destroyed. Their savior slain. Their hopes, their plans, everything that they wanted is about to come to an end. And Jesus is trying to give them a bit of an encouragement before this all happens. You must understand that for the disciples, when we read about the crucifixion of Jesus, it's terrible. Who watched the Passion? Who found it a little bit traumatizing? I did. Because I saw my sin being the reason that he had to go through that. Can you imagine being the disciples? In witnessing all your hopes being tortured and beaten and hung on a cross and put to death. And so this is what Jesus says to them. They who are about to lose everything. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Great opening line. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? The big question is, Jesus, if you go, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to make a way for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you. So that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus' assurance to his disciples that even though it might look like something else, I will always be with you. Can I tell you the first big point about what is eternity like? It is always with him. Most of us have had to ask you, how is your relationship with God doing right now? What would you base that on? Can I give you the classic Christian answer? I say to people, how, how is your walk with Jesus at the moment? They're like, oh, I'm struggling to have a quiet time at the moment. Things are really busy. Job is requiring a lot. Or I just haven't gotten to reading my Bible. Or that's, that's not the indicator of how your relationship with Jesus is doing. Do you know what the indicator of how your relationship with Jesus is doing? He still died for you. He's still giving you grace. He's still giving you mercy every single day. He's still forgiven the sins that you do now and repent of and the sins that you will do and repent of. He covers over you and he's made a way for you to be with him. That is the determining factor of your relationship with Jesus. And it doesn't change. 
He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He never has had enough of you. He never exits. He never is like, I'm, I'm done with this one. Okay, that was one time too many. No. He's not sitting there going, oh, they missed a quiet time this week. I'm out. I'm out. Like, I had something important to tell you, but you don't want to hear anyway, so fine. I'll go tell somebody else. No. The indicator of how is your relationship with Jung is, how are you responding to the most incredible miracle that ever took place? How are you responding to the fact that you can have a relationship with the living God, your creator? And sometimes it looks like reading your Bible and worshiping, and, but that is the indicator. Do you know that the end, this is, I know it might feel like I didn't start my clock, so time hasn't started yet. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You know me? I'm known for being the guy that preaches in 30 minutes, so you are safe. We are not that long to go. Do you know that in the Bible, the end and the beginning are the same? That God talks about the end, and we'll read in Revelations, of what the end of this time, this ticking clock inside of Edivus, we'll see what the end looks like, but do you know that the plan at the end is the same as it was in the beginning? And in the beginning, you'll read in Genesis 3 that, that he would come down in the cool of the day and walk with Adam and Eve. He would spend time with them in the garden. He, his dwelling place was with his people. Do you know that eternity looks the same? It's about being in constant relationship. No feelings of separation. No brokenness from your side which causes you to withdraw and hide like Adam and Eve. That's the promise for what the end looks like. Can you imagine? This is for me what a perfect relationship looks like with Jesus. He does it all. Because he never fails. He, we are the ones who get it wrong. We mess up. We fall into sin. We fall out of love. We make idols. We wish. That's the story of the Bible. If you read it from Genesis to Revelation, you'll read a story about a father who longs to be with his people. The pursuer. Yeah, I also feel like that's an amen, right? You have a countdown timer inside of you, not a sand glass running out. The end of this life is the beginning of awesome. Skate parks in heaven, because apparently there's no ocean. Someone told me that. I was gutted. No skate parks and no, no surfing and no hunting. I'm like, what? I don't know. The Lord, this has got to be really good then. Like, I don't know. Maybe there's amazing crocheting or... So in Genesis 3 verse 8 to 9, we won't read it, but so God walks, and the beginning is the same as the end. God walks in the garden, and we read in, um, uh, we read in Revelation 21, I just don't know where I put that. Revelation 21 verse 3 to 4, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home. This is talking about, this is the last of the last of the Bible. It's right at the end. Remember, whenever we talk about the end, the end talks about the beginning. It's where the Bible's written. It's where you tell a good story. It's the way you do a good preach. Whenever you end, you start with the beginning. And it's talking about, 
And I heard a loud shout from the thing, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. That is a picture of what we are living for. Not the choir or the golden streets. Honestly, I, the people, I've heard so many preachers about heaven where people try and make what heaven is like to be the incentive. No, the incentive is God himself is there and we get to be with him. Do you have someone like that in your life? Hopefully your spouse. If not, that's okay. There's that person that you just, you love spending time with them. You just... It doesn't matter if you haven't seen each other for six months. When you see that person, when you think of seeing that person, you just know when we're together, it's going to be fun. I'm going to enjoy them. I long to listen to what they have to say. I want to be with them. I want to, it's just, there's this excitement to be with that person. That's what it's like. That's what eternity is like. We get to be with him and know him fully. We won't hide stuff from him. That we won't hide our shame and our sin and the things that we know hurt him. Do you know, and this is the crux of it, do you know that the purpose, and this is what Jesus came to teach us, do you know that that eternity that I'm speaking about, that closeness and oneness and relationship with Jesus, do you know that he came to make a way for that to be possible today? That you don't even have to wait for then. In terms of relationship, the kingdom now theology is warped. In terms of people are like, you have full access to everything of the kingdom now. No, you don't. There are some things reserved for just then. But the most incredible parts we have access to right now, relationship with our king, relationship with our dad that we've been estranged from because of our sin. Thank you, Sam. Sure, one person. That's amazing. Jared, give me more, bro. You are hosting me. Jared came this morning to be a cheerleader for me. I appreciate it. Do you know that in Christianity, we can get so tied up with wanting to become perfect Christians because our model is when we get to heaven, we'll be perfect. So we've got to try and make ourselves as perfect as possible now so that when we get to heaven, we fit in. So let me give you an example. Somebody walks in, they visit church. It's incredible. They give their life to Jesus. Like, that's amazing. And they go outside and light up a joint. They're like, oh, that was amazing. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> And we're like, okay, cool, we've got to fix that right now. Like, okay. And then we find out he's living with his girlfriend, and we find out that there's a whole lot of, and, and we automatically go and like, okay, cool, that's amazing that you accepted Jesus. Now we need to fix all this stuff in your life. Because you want to be one of those holy people with white garments in heaven singing holy, 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 and actually I've got stuff in my life that I'm ashamed of, and I'm going to try and fix it in you. We try and fix it in them because we know we can't get it right in us. That's the Pharisee. That is, the, that is what happens. And so we, we, we make them jump through hoops and we, we try and produce Christians that look like those people in heaven that are going, holy. 
But let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus says it like this. Matthew 13 verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. This tiny little unimpactful mustard seed. That when planted in a field, even though it's the smallest of all the seeds, but it becomes the largest of the garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Do you know what Jesus is illustrating with this point? The kingdom of heaven is like this little mustard seed that when you put it inside someone's life, do you have to, does he say the kingdom of heaven is like this? You put a mustard seed and then you plow the soil and you rip out all the weeds and you put boundaries in place and you make this amazing place for a tree to grow. No. Kingdom of heaven is like this. When this little mustard seed takes root in someone's life, the biggest tree possible starts to grow. And as it starts to grow, it makes room for itself. You see, the kingdom of heaven is not rip out the bad stuff. The kingdom of heaven displaces the bad stuff. It means my desire for him overrules my desire for my physical addiction. My desire to be close to him is stronger than my desire to satisfy my needs. It means the kingdom of heaven, when that future reality, when we understand it, it becomes such a big deal in my life that I start to get rid of the things in my life because I want that more than anything else. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Let's look at another example that Jesus does about this. He says in Mark 4 verse 26, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. This is quite a key note for all of us. He does not understand. He is not making it grow. He leaves it in the soil to grow. The earth produces the crop on its own. First, a leaf of blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed and finally the grain ripens. As soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle for the harvest time has come. So often we can, we can want to, this little seed has taken root and we want the harvest already. It's like it's harvest time. Like let's, Let's plow, if you plow the land where you've put the seeds in, you just rip all the seeds out. But instead, when the kingdom of God takes root in somebody's life, it starts to look like something. The kingdom of God in your life should start to look like something. And, and when you're a new believer, it's just a leaf that pushes through. It's just this desire to be where God is. It's just this desire to, to not sin. It's just this... And then it starts to grow. And as it starts to grow, this desire turns into something else. And eventually, actually, it starts to produce a harvest. And you develop into somebody that is not just a little seed that's showing potential, but actually you start to have a harvest in your life of godly character and holiness. And you start to look like him because he's the one that you're looking at all the time. Is it landing? Is this, are we on the same page? Is this not the most exciting thing you've ever heard? <laughs> Just checking. 
One day, the Pharisees, Luke 17, verse 20. One day, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? They want it to look like something. They want to know, when will the kingdom of God come? When will us Pharisees get our rightful place? That's what they're asking. Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. Do you know that you can look the part? You can come to church. You can even sit in the front. You can even come forward and worship. You can be the one with your hands held the highest. The kingdom of God in someone's life is not even detectable by visible signs. Because you can fake that. I have faked that. Holy Spirit, I just want to ask right now. Would you come? And even when there are where there are elements inside of us that we've almost that there's no life, but we're trying to put up the appearances, would you replace that with a genuine desire for your kingdom right now? With a genuine desire for a relationship with you? You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Why? Because the king is in the building. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm here. The king is here. Therefore, the kingdom is here. If you want to see your life, if you want to live in the kingdom of God, you just have to live where the king is king above all else. In your life, is he the Lord of lords? You know, we have career, job, family, Capacity. That's, I've honestly realized that is a new Western idol. Personal capacity. We sacrifice stuff on the, on the altar of personal capacity. And don't get me wrong. I do believe that you have personal capacity. But I feel like it's become a thing for people. Was he the Lord of all of those things? Matthew 10 verse 78. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Do you know what a sign, not a visible sign, do you know what a sign of the kingdom of heaven being present is? The power of God. The power for the miraculous. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. The kingdom comes by power. How do you overcome sinful desire? You can't. You cannot willpower your way into being a good Christian. You cannot willpower your way into the kingdom. It requires a supernatural miracle from God. It requires an incredible gift of the Holy Spirit who comes inside of us and He sanctifies us. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. He makes us more like Him. How incredible is that? He died for you. He saved you. He gives you His Spirit and He makes you like Him. <laughs> okay, I'm very excited. It's just me. But we, we'll have to tell a joke or something. I'm skipping some of those long list of scriptures I gave you. 
Do you know that with every false teaching, it is, it is a um, counterfeit of the real. And so there is a false teaching, which is the, the kingdom now theology, that we have all access to everything of the kingdom now. And what I've been showing you a case for is the fact that when the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is here and it's now and it will come, the case is that he's talking about the king and the reign of the kingdom. So it means because of the kingdom of God, we have access to the king. And the king does heal and the king does provide and the king does do the miraculous. But it's not that I am now a vessel of the kingdom and I, it's my job to hand out the treasures of the kingdom. That's not how it works. Okay? But do you know what the truth of the kingdom now theology is? That you have full access to the king now. Yeah. That you have full access to forgiveness. And that is your greatest need. 1 John says, There is not one of you who are without sin. Don't claim to be. You're calling God a liar. Each and every one of you, even Mornay, the most holy. <laughs> Even Monet, especially Monet. Every single one of us are in desperate need of forgiveness and sanctification and mercy and kindness. The fact that some of us walk in here with habitual patterns of sin in our life, hidden. I'm not calling you out. I'm telling you that I know it's there because I know the condition of man. You think it's hidden from this, but this is not what the gauge is based on. We are all in desperate need of the most important aspect of the kingdom now, which is forgiveness for us and reestablishing relationship with the king, helping us to reprioritize our lives. Helping us to live in a way that then is more important than now. That you won't try and drown out the sound of the ticking clock with jobs and stuff and family and distraction. And, try and you try and play music to the rhythm just so that it dulls out a little bit. Everybody's running out of time. The Middle East is just a sign. It's a reminder that Jesus said, I'm coming back for you. I'm going to prepare a place and then I'm coming back for you. If you know Jesus, I hope that stirs something inside of you. If you don't know Jesus, I appeal to you this morning. Stop drowning out the clock. Stop trying to hide it and distract it and put the noise away. It's put there for a purpose and it's to bring you to the king. When you get to him, he takes the batteries out. You get to him and you realize it's not a clock counting down towards the end. It's counting down towards the beginning. Yeah. I'm going to land.
Romans 15 verse 16. I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles, to you who are not born in Israel as Jews, i.e. to every single one of you sitting in this room. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by His Holy Spirit. Not made holy through your great effort. Not made holy through amazing preaching. Not made holy because the worship is amazing and we experience Jesus. Made holy by His Holy Spirit.